Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Today's episode is brought to you by ModMed. Do your EHR and PM adapt to your style of practice? The ModMed EHR and PM do, with benefits like remembering preferences and automatically suggesting documentation and billing codes. Urologists voted ModMed the number one urology-specific EHR and PM solution available, built by urologists with input from yours truly. Stop wasting 60 minutes and 200 for each of your open or no-show slot. Go to modmed.com slash prsnetwork. Set up an appointment with the team at ModMed Urology and shift your urology practice into high gear. Imagine a solution on a tablet or the web that works seamlessly with revenue cycle management, analytics, telehealth, payment processing, patient engagement tools, and much more. ModMed is transforming healthcare by placing doctors and patients at the center of care. Welcome to episode 110 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. And today, we want to cover a couple topics regarding manufacturers and drugs. And we want to cover some manufacturer advice and talk about that and kind of what you need to look out for and how you can use that advice as far as coding and billing. And the other thing we wanted to cover is the new rule, proposed rule, uh, as it pertains to drugs. And what's that going to mean? What's that look like? And kind of how it's shaping up. So this kind of give you an introduction. This started with, uh, again, an internal discussion that we had within PRS and uh, within our coding group. We were talking about, uh, and specifically, reimbursement for Xiaflex and and Xiaflex is the J0775 and uh, and how you how you do that and what is the proper way to code and and so in along that discussion we ended up going to the manufacturer's website to see what they recommend and Mark do you want to share a little bit about uh, and it's it's more about in a general topic, not necessarily about Xiaflex reimbursement, but when you get to a point where you're coding uh, based on recommendations from a manufacturer, how do you go about doing that? What's What should you follow? What should you not? What should you believe? What's good? What's bad? I know there's been a lot of things out there that have burned people in the past. So what's the recommendation there? Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, the majority of your manufacturers um, have uh, reimbursement teams um, that are assigned to look at how best to provide the end users, physicians, um, appropriate reimbursement pathways. Um, And there's usually a legal team uh, that is working with that reimbursement team. And a lot of times they'll hire outside experts um, to look at coding advice uh, or the the materials that they're publishing 
to make sure that they're doing everything right. So there's a there's a lot of of focus and a lot of legal ramifications for the manufacturers to give out advice. So they they do a lot of research um, and and most do really pretty well in getting that information out the door. Um, and but they also will tell you in in their legalese um, that this is just advice and that ultimately the coding is up to you. And that is, in fact, the case. Um, whether or not you completely trust the manufacturer and the advice you're getting for reimbursement, um, you know, you are the one who is responsible for those charges that go out the door. So, what we've always taken a, uh, as, a, as a good look, and we've told you this in our seminars over the years, you know, we are giving you the interpretation of the rules as we understand them and as we uh, find those rules throughout. And, you know, there are times when uh, we have heard uh, people come back and, and they'll tell me, Mark, you told me this. And actually, that wasn't what I what I thought I said. We'll just <laughs> leave it that way. Um, so, so you know that's the, and that and that's true of any communication, right? That there's there's two sides to the communication. There's what is said, and there's what is heard. Um, so you want to be careful um, as to what they're trying to do. And I will tell you that most manufacturers, and and I will say not all. Because I have seen some folks that are taking liberties with interpretation. So you need to be uh, appropriately skeptical of information that you get from anyone, a consultant or a manufacturer, understanding where their uh, their end goal is. you know in the in the long run, the most important thing for a manufacturer is to sell whatever they're manufacturing, right? So, so they're, they're, they want to do it and they've, they want to do it the right way, knowing that the long term, uh, in most cases, the long term uh, acceptance of what they're doing requires that they're not giving people bad advice that's going to get them trouble because then they lose their market and they, their market share. So that's why they do take, there are some checks and balances but I think you should also take your own check and balance. So I always consider um, the advice that I get from manufacturers as a single starting point or a place in my journey of finding out what the right way to do or a right way to code and, and report different services that are provided. I do want to balance that with my own knowledge of what's going on. I need to balance that with my own contracts and the way my payers are working because the majority of advice that's given out um, by any group uh, is, is yeah, check with your local payer in the end because there are almost always variations that we will see from payer to payer. And the last piece I'll add on to this is as much as we would like to be able to say, this is the way it should be done in every case, that is not the way it works in coding. 
There are nuances to individual encounters, and there are nuances um, to your practice setting. There are nuances to payer. So you need to take all of that into account. And if you can find secondary information that comes from a payer, right or wrong, the payers write rules on how they deal with coverage and processing. And so sometimes you may be doing something exactly the way it should be done from a CPT side or from a Medicare side, but it won't work for Anthem. So you'd need to understand that flexibility. And in the end, you need to verify the information that you are getting from manufacturers, consultants, and double check your own knowledge every once in a while. That's, you know, that this is a constantly changing world. So making sure that you've got all the information in and look at multiple sources before you make that final decision. And and I guess the 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 end game in all of this is uh, there's there's not always one true source available. There are probably multiple sources depending on payer, but the manufacturer is a source, not a be-all, end-all in that information. Ray, what are your thoughts? Uh, Mark was being nice. We have seen manufacturers that just have given out bad advice that get you into trouble if you use it. Uh, Fortunately, he is correct that that is a minority, but you should check. And those of you who's been to our seminars, you've heard us say time and time again that, you know, as consultants, we have opinions, and that includes the painters. But not all consultants know what they're talking about, and that manufacturer may have had a consultant that didn't understand the concept that he was given advice on. So Mark is, is giving you the right idea. Just consider the manufacturer a good starting point and then check to verify what's the correct way to code. And even the AUA uh, gives out advice. They do not have rulemaking capability, although they do have a lot of influence. And if you follow what they say, you probably won't get caught up for fraud. You just may not get paid all the time. Am I being too harsh on that, Mark? (laughs) No, I mean, that's, it is the the rule. I mean, it's the facts that the payers make the coverage rules, um, again, right or wrong. and that, yes, there's advice that goes out there and there's um, the, we'll, quote, we'll, we'll put in air quotes, the right way to do things, which is for a general circumstance and based on the CPT book or based on Medicare rules, you can get a little bit more definitive. Um, but a lot of times you've got private payer rules and you've got situations in Medicare where you can't get definitive. So you've got to make decisions based on the best information and the broadest set of information that's available and an interpretation that actually ties all of that together and gives you 
a logical, reasonable defense trail. All right. So and and I and so along this the these lines, Scott, as you are talking about, we ended up with a drug um, that we were talking about that has um, some discarding as a single use vial. And as we were talking about this, it reminded me of you know the proposed rule upcoming for Medicare that they are going to take a look at single use. Uh, vile drugs and look at the way those are reported. And if there is drug wastage um, that happens in a significant portion of cases where that drug is being used, Medicare is looking at creating a refund program so that those manufacturers are going to have to potentially pay Medicare back for those common wastages um, in a rebate program. And there's a lot of details that need to be worked out. And it's, as a proposed rule, you can imagine that there are a fair number of, of well-connected and strong manufacturer opinions that are trying to tweak or change this completely as we're moving forward. The good news is in the proposed rule, there is nothing that is going to change relative to physician reporting of this. So, so we can talk about that general piece first, and that is, you know, we do have drugs right now, like uh, like Zyaflex um, and and Urogen, that come in packaging, and that are designed for um, the maybe not even the average patient, maybe it's the maximum patient um, that's in which they're packaged. So they've, we're not saying they don't have a reason for package things the way they do, but it ends up in a packaging format that ends up in a lot of discarding or a discarding of drug for the majority of cases. And reporting those to Medicare um, requires a single line with the J code, and we'll use Zyaflex, the J0775, on the first line or on one line of the claim without a modifier. And then for the drug that is uh, not used or wasted, it you report it on a second line with the JW with the appropriate units for, that are discarded. Um, and that went into that went into effect several years ago. So. So you're always going to report the amount of drug that is instilled and the amount of drug that is discarded um, in uh, when you're we're looking at drugs. Now we had this we had a little bit of a twist on this with BCG, right? And now we're we're in the BCG shortage, and we can remind everybody that even though BCG comes in in vials that allow you to mix up um, maybe more than you're going to give to one patient because you're going to give it to two patients. We have a special dispensation with the BCG shortage to allow you to use that drug on more than one patient. So you don't necessarily have to waste it. And of course, during the shortage, we don't want you to. So that in those cases, you're not billing two lines with a, J, with a JW for wasted BCG, but instead, 
are hopefully using that BCG in more than one patient so we can stretch our supply and meet more of the needs that are out there. So there's a lot of different approaches that kind of fall into this, but um, the, the general topic of drug wastage with that JW modifier, so you would be paid in full for that single dose, um, with the JW letting Medicare know how much was not injected into the patient, which they'll be able to see from the medical record if they were to do, the, do an audit anyway. So that's the appropriate reporting. Now, and of course, Medicare is like, wow, we're paying for a lot of stuff that's going down the drain. Maybe there are different packaging things that can be used. That's their thought process on the back end. You know, why should why should we be paying extra money for drug that's not going to get used in most cases? We'll just have the manufacturers give us a rebate. And I think probably in the back of their minds is, well, they just need to package things differently so we don't have all the wastage and we just grab the right amount going forward which doesn't work in all cases that's you know sometimes the packaging is where it is because that's all they can do so we'll have to see how that argument plays out within the proposed rule between the manufacturers and medicare um so and that may change how packaging comes about for some of these drugs um and it, it may not we'll have to watch how that works and it may not be possible um, for some manufacturers to change the way they package things. So it's it's going to be an interesting issue um, to see how the entire medical industrial complex reacts to this potential uh, uh, rule that comes in. Um, but it and we'll keep you posted if there's any issues that change relative to reporting. But right now, uh, given the way the proposed rule is written, you're going to continue to report drug that's instilled or injected on one line with no modifier and drug that is discarded, not, not provided to another patient, but is discarded on a second line with a JW modifier. Well, it certainly seems that there is enough of this going on that Medicare has taken uh, that approach. You know, there's obviously enough wastage going on that it, it may make a difference. Ray, thoughts? No, I think it's going to be a complex thing because you as a physician never know how much you're going to use when you go into some of these issues. So hopefully you won't have to pick a vial with a certain amount of drug in it versus the vial with more drug in it before you start the procedure. It yeah. could get complicated. It's going to be an interesting balance as we yeah. try and shave shave pennies out of this thing because it's you know and it's not pennies over the entire medicare system that's the other thing you've got to to recognize is that you know the volume of services make a lot of these decisions pretty big even though the individual encounters are relatively minor and there's probably uh, drugs and other specialties that you know may cost a lot more and have more wastage you know that, oh yeah so the yep. ripple effect does impact. Yeah. Yep. It's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. All right. Okay. Well, we'll wrap this episode up here and uh, let's go. Let's get some final thoughts. Ray, final thoughts. 
I'll defer to Mark. He usually generates some thoughts for me. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. All right, Mark. I'll defer to Ray. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so it, again, this is something we're going to keep an eye on. Um, and we'll have to watch uh, this evolve over the next, um, probably the next few years as Medicare continues to try and figure out how to deal with a, a basically a, a fixed budget and increasing costs, increasing numbers of pe- patients and changing practice methodologies. Um, you know, I think we could we we could all agree that the current U.S. healthcare system is far from perfect, um, and there are a number of areas that need to be addressed to make this work better for physicians, for patients, um, and you know, to a certain degree, the medical industrial complex and. You know, there's there's profit in the wrong spots, um, and there is you know profit to be made, and and maybe incentives that drive things the wrong way. Um, so uh, there's going to be a there's th- this is getting more and more uh, important as an issue um, as we deal with budgeting, and we'll have to see if there's the economic contraction and all this stuff that's out there that's affecting all this, but it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a topsy turvy ride for the, for the next several years. Um, the one consistent we do have is that Medicare is a big ship ship and it is not easy to change quickly. So anything we see coming down the pipeline, we'll probably have some time to read and react to. Um, but, that's not everything. I mean, you could put PCR in the mix as one that that changed overnight. That changed a lot of different things. So, you know, there's we'll have to keep an eye on it all. It's just a, a broad moving soup. All right. Ray, final thoughts? Well, I guess I would uh, sort of, again, I don't know where I'd call it defer or refer this time. To Winston Churchill, who once said, you can always depend on the Americans to do the right thing after they've tried everything else. (laughs) And you, you could argue that some of the ways that we're moving in medicine right now will be some of those things we're trying that probably is not going to work out in the future. (laughs) Very well said. Okay, we'll wind it up on that note. Ray, take us out. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and their staff maximize income and efficiencies so there's time and energy for patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music on Spotify under his record label, The Juicery.